and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... The Shield Brother, Axel Wright. How are you doing today, Axel? Grumpy and drinking, so... <laughs> hey, that's my shtick. Well, today it's my shtick. You get to be the lecturer today, don't you? Eh, right, fine. Well, as you can tell, on today's episode, we're talking about one of my favorite things... Warhammer 40k. Now, <laughs> this is the second episode in our 40k series, series, and since we've covered the ultimate evil that is chaos, let's talk about the lesser evil that is the <laughs> Imperium of Man. Uh, Axel, I know you've been doing a little bit of reading up on 40k. Uh, what do you know about the Imperium? Well, first of all, I know that most people that in my friend circle refer to them as the angry flashlights. They're not wrong. <laughs> uh, that's because anyone doesn't know in the at least in the video games that's what it looks like when you send uh, a bunch of Imperium soldiers out a bunch of angry flashlights I also know that um, even though there's tons of crazy sci-fi species in Warhammer 40k that at present the Imperial Man is the most powerful force in the, the galaxy I mean yeah. that's what you mean by powerful but they're the largest and most widespread certainly I also know that um, they're split into a shitload of different factions, like a lot more than most of the other races are. Well, they, yeah, um, the Imperial Man's kind of a catch-all term for a bunch of different factions we'll go over. Yeah, I also know that they are led by, or they were created by uh, essentially sci-fi Jesus, who's also fantasy Jesus, because his backstory involves him being the combined soul of a thousand different shamans. But he's colloquially known... Yeah, but he's colloquially known as the God Emperor. Um, I know that his essentially clone sons, the Primarchs, were like the most badass people in Imperium's history because they were the God Emperor's clone sons. And um, yeah, that's most of what I know about the Imperium, I'd say. I mean, I know spattering. Like I've read about up on a number of the Primarchs. I've read about the Horus Heresy, uh, stuff like that. Like a lot of the, you know, the juicy bits and... Uh, I know that there's a lot of like, maybe not corruption, but no, corruption's correct considering that, you know, chaos is usually working constantly to manipulate people in the Imperium specifically. So, oh, I also know that all their technology seems to be like um, stagnant because they worship the spirit of the machine and they're oddly like superstitious about everything. But to be fair, they come from a world where demons and shit actually exist. So I don't know if it's superstition. It's more like actual just knowledge in their universe. <laughs> so Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about why they are that way. No, uh, the Imperium of Man is the human faction. I use human loosely because once some of these factions really kind of toe the line of what it means to be human anymore... Especially Space Marines. Yeah, in uh, the Warhammer 40k universe. Um, right, they are a fascist oligarchy. Aren't in they? Um, every sense of the word. Okay, but aren't they at least right now? In oh, wait, the... no. Sorry, theocracy. Okay, theocracy is definitely true. Cause I, but I know right now they're led by uh, one the like the last living active Primarch. So yes. it's kind of a just straight, I don't know if monarchy is the right word, but. I mean, I guess technically, because he's like led, he's really? he's led by. Well, his right to rule is both by birth, but also by like merit. So it's like both a monarchy and a meritocracy. So well, you can also say a divine right. It's it's its own weird thing. But fascism and theocracy are the two big, easy catch-all terms that kind of summarize what the Imperium of Man is. Okay, I can accept that. And. Yeah, it's not me- like let's get Warhammer gets a lot of shit because people say, "Oh, it promotes fascism." <laughs> no, because well, the Imperium <laughs> is not shown to be successful or good or something you want to strive for. I just want to get that one right out of the way. Also, they're heavily stagnating, and the God Emperor himself, before he became the mummy that he is now, you know, he uh, I, I guess he was fascist already, but he was oh, also yeah. He was also inherently like what would happen if Superman, the proper you know version of Superman, was like you know the ruler of the world, right? Because he was like actually a good person. But I guess that is still fascism. Well. Like, come on, man! Basically, most of the reading material about the God Emperor says that he was like this super. Everything's about science and the truth and making everyone happy and not and reducing suffering. But we have to 
you know, destroy all the enemies to get there first. So it's not his fault that like the Imperium took his teachings, ideas, and started warping them into crazy zealots, uh, zealotous worship. Again, this a lot of the newer lore they're coming out with does not paint the Emperor favorably. Ah, we'll see. I don't know about that. I do know yeah. that um, when it comes to the idea of Warhammer promoting anything, that is not really the case because no one's really the good guy in Warhammer. The closest was the Tau, and people were upset that they were basically painted as the good guy. So they started writing more implicitly that they're like mind controllers and stuff. The point is that there are no good guys in the Warhammer universe. Yeah, that's uh, 40K in a nutshell. It's grim, dark, far future of nastiness. Yeah, but you, uh, you're a fan of the Imperium, right? You've always, I always see stuff on your Facebook about, you know, Burn the Heretic and telling me that I'm a filthy Xeno lover because I like the orcs, so. Oh, yeah, you are. And I am a fan of the Imperium. I'm also a fan of the COG and the UNSC, but that doesn't make me a fascist. <laughs> I mean, one of these days you might have to actually take, like, a, a straight stand and explain your, your points of view since... You're into a lot of fascist-related things. I know you're not a fascist, but still, <laughs> understandable, right? I have a rant about that sometime, but we're not here to talk about that. We were talking about 40K. So, Well, you have a series of books or stories you want to go over specifically, right? Uh, sort of. This, we're just going to kind of do the wider collective lore of the Imperium of Man today. I don't know if I have any real suggestions. I mean, the Horus Heresy is probably the best book series that's going to cover a lot of this. It's also probably the most interesting and also possibly, or arguably, the most important thing to happen to the Imperium. So. Yes. And also, again, we will cover that one in its own separate episode because there's so much to go over with that yeah. one. I, I want to cut this off at the head, too, before we get in. Um, we're not experts. Again, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Ulrich here has read and played a lot more than me certainly hence why he'll be taking the the crux of this and i'm just here to provide witty commentary but we have our no means claiming to be uh an all-encompassing we this video is more like a hey people who might be listening to this who don't actually know much about imperium and we're like hey maybe this gets you a little interested go read up on your own maybe find some youtube channels that are far more comprehensive than we are oh yeah so, there are much better ones the idea in mind we created this one is I wanted to get Axel caught up on 40K so eventually we could have a discussion about 40K without me having to pause and explain, okay, that is who these people are. Yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted to put that out there because, well, you know. But anyway, let's, let's move on past any unpleasantness there. So. Yeah. so first off, the kind of cool thing I think about 40K is that it is essentially based around Earth and our timeline just 40,000 years in the future. Kind of, except that the God Emperor existed like, what, several thousand years before our current time, and he's just been like doing good deeds. I mean, isn't the idea of 40K that basically the legend of Jesus was actually the God Emperor and shit? Potentially. I mean, the, there are all sorts of, like, I think some of the earliest accounts of the God Emperor, who we'll mention real quick, uh, goes way, dates all the way back to like some of the earliest crusades. So real quick, the God Emperor of Mankind, the founder of the Imperium, the holy figure of the Imperium, depending on your interpretation, the most commonly accepted one is that a group of shaman foresaw the great evil that would be chaos, sacrificed themselves in a ritual that then went on to create the perfect human being that was the Emperor, who has existed since the beginnings of humanity, and who has steadily, you know, monitored humanity until it was ready for him to, you know, lead it into his glorious vision and destroy chaos. And the way and, I yeah. read it, the way I read it at least, was that this this ritual involved roughly a thousand of the greatest shamans in the world all sacrificing their bodies so their souls could like emerge into one essentially super soul that then birthed into this child that. Uh, was functionally immortal and had super crazy like psychic powers. So and that's the God Emperor. Yeah, and it's said that he was born in what is Turkey, modern day Turkey, hmm. but no one's really sure when he manifested or whatnot. But basically, all of the greatest heroes in the stories throughout time are said to be the Emperor in one form or another. 
Yeah, just moving around the world and taking on different names and stuff. Yeah. So doesn't he have doesn't he have an actual canonical name though that he just gave up when he became the God Emperor? No. Oh, like I he, did. he had one at one point, but the thing about 40k and names, which is kind of cool and kind of harkens back to a lot of other societies that do the magic, is if you know someone's name, you have power over them. I'll talk about that later. So by, you know, giving up his name, he gave up anyone's ability to have power over him. Mm. Okay. So yeah, when we're going through this really rough timeline of the Imperium, keep in mind the Emperor is just kind of hanging out in the background watching, taking notes, waiting for humanity to get ready. And technically, the God Emperor is sitting around right now waiting for, you know, us to get to a point that we're ready to, get, you know, <laughs> take over. And honestly, God Emperor, if you're listening, now might be the time. <laughs> I'm ready yeah. for space travel. Uh, I can agree with that sentiment. <laughs> so, although, he, although I will say, if space travel contains the actual Warhammer universe, not as psyched about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, it's. A, I don't know if I. I mean, it's either we go to it or it comes to us. I'm not sure which is better. Well, we go to it is definitely better. I'm just saying that I wouldn't be psyched about it anymore. So, <laughs> so the first real recorded age of 40k is called the dark age of technology and at this point in human history we have reached this pinnacle of technology we have ai true ai exists we are prospering we're successful we are colonizing other planets isn't the machine god basically an ai like that's the spirit of the machine or something like that no, Yamnesai has its own thing, and we'll kind of cover that a bit more when we do the Mechanicum. All right, and all right. Talk about the faith that is, the, you know, the two faiths of the Imperium. To save time, if I ask a question that you plan to go over in another episode or something, just say, put it off to later. Yeah, all right. Save some time. So, yeah, this is, you know, humanity. We've got colonies all over the universe. We have begun to develop warp travel, which is, you know, traveling through the warp now i think this is important to go over because warp travel the word warp has a very specific kind of meaning in real world uh connotation right because like it's called warp originally because the concept was you you warp uh space time which is the fabric of reality and depending on what sci-fi series you're looking at like if you're looking at something like halo you know the covenant warp by folding space on each other in uh in Star Trek, they warp by creating a warp bubble that essentially short shrinks uh, space in front of them and extends it behind them, kind of like an Albuquerque warp bubble. But in 40K, the warp is literally a place. It's Which like we talked about previously. Yeah, yeah, because it's where the chaos actually come from. So it's like another dimension that you can travel through, and when you come out at a different point, you've come out much farther than you could have traveled conventionally. So it's, I guess, it's closer to like slipstream drive and Andromeda. But yeah. Yeah. So things are looking good. And one of the reasons they've been able to do warp travel is psychers have begun to emerge. And psychers essentially are what the name implies people who can do crazy shit with their minds. Because Warhammer's too cool to just call them psychics. Yes. And so they really allow humanity to enter in through these warp, you know, open warp rifts cross. And, you know, technology is good. Things are looking promising. Uh, tons of technologies developed. Rapid expansion goes on. This is, this so is a why, positive time for humanity. If it's a positive time for humanity, why is it called the dark age of technology? Well, because it immediately leads to the age of strife. And one of the first things to kick off the age of strife is the men of iron, which what happens whenever there's true AI? Killer robots. I mean, Terminator 2 taught me that when I was, like, five, so... <laughs> yeah, so not a lot is really known about what the Men of Iron were because Games Workshop has kind of altered the uh, continuity and what they talk about with them. Plus, they don't really talk about these periods in that great detail. But essentially, yeah, killer robots rose up and tried to destroy all of humanity. Yeah. This ain't like the Necron, who were an ancient race that basically gave up their bodies to become robots. These were just like human-made AIs that started trying to kill them. With planet-destroying technology. All right. I mean, so, there's enough movies about that. I think people can relate to it. So, Yeah, this was really bad and you know, began to really start to 
crumbled the civilization. The other big problem was massive warp storms start, you know, popping up all over the galaxy and define, it's impossible. Define what a warp storm is, because if the warp is this other reality where, where we know the chaos come from, but right now the Imperial Man doesn't come from, and it's psychers. If I'm if I'm guessing this correctly based on my knowledge of like sci-fi, I'm guessing it's like almost like literal lightning, but lightning that is coming from like the warp. And it's like, is it in the warp or is it a storm that comes from the warp? Both. Like okay. warp travel, you cannot pass through the warp when there's a huge warp storm going on. And the thing is, warp storms, they also, the warp tends to bleed into reality. And you don't want that. Because at, when reality and unreality meet, that's where demons come in. Okay, at this point, how far spread is the... Because it's not actually the Imperium at this point, it's just... No, this is just humans. humanity. It's not yeah, unified. So, yeah, exactly. So how far like into the galaxy have they spread using warp? If they can travel faster than light with the warp, then theoretically, if they've been doing it for a long enough time, then they could have you know, colonized much of the galaxy, just not as in one... Uh, contained unit. And the reason it's an important question is because once you lose warp storm, I mean, the idea of uh, a civilization, you can look at the history of Earth for this, but uh, an empire or any single civilization can really only get as big as the methods of communication allows. So, like, if, if communication takes over, you know, a year to get from the, the command, essentially, then the uh, to to wherever the outpost is, then or you know colony, then eventually what you're going to have is that colony doesn't get it's just going to become its own separate thing. And you know history kind of teaches that this that this is what happens. So if if they've spread throughout the whole galaxy at this point, or at least a good chunk of it, then yeah, losing warp travel would then mean you've got all these factions that are just going to break off and be different things. Then yeah, no, they have pushed out and colonized almost every planet. It's never really clarified how far they got, but looking at the modern Warhammer universe map, they got pretty far out there and, and you know, spread really far to all corners. Mm. So, yeah. And this caused problems because, like you said, all of a sudden your supplies are getting cut off at the best case. And in the worst case, all of a sudden people are mutating into horrible monsters and your toilet is breathing fire because that's what happens in the middle of a warp storm. Reality just ceases to exist. Insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine some, you know, 80s uh, metal band, you know, album covers. You know, That's for the record. what a warp storm looks like. For the record, I was just in Oregon like two weeks ago to see King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard, which is an awesome psychedelic <laughs> rock band. And uh, we were in a record store waiting for the the concert to start and we were just looking at record album covers and I don't care what anyone says, man, metal bands have the most badass album covers. Like sometimes they're corny as hell, but like, yeah, I'd rather see, you know, a skeleton on a motorcycle with like harpies flying around it. than you know, just the, the artist standing in front of a brick wall, you know? Yeah, no, that's essentially what's happening on these planets. So a lot of them are getting destroyed and this is, you know, actually a really interesting point in the timeline. I wish, that uh, Games Workshop would develop a bit more because there are accounts of people leading armies of demons against massive fortresses using this weird Fallout style, you know, everything grafted together technology in giant bloody epic battles. So basically we've got chaos armies, even though they're not called that yet. Yeah. And psychers are really starting... Now, psychers begin to, you know, dominate over everybody else because they're getting supercharged by these warp storms because their power is derived from the warp. Plus, imagine if, you know, like every city had at least one Jean Grey phoenix in it, right? Yeah, that's a really good metaphor for this. So the universe is tearing itself apart and this entire civilization is collapsing. They're losing technology. People are dying. It's the end times. Until the Emperor goes, okay, now is my time to emerge. Rock on. And this is called the Unification Wars. Doesn't and, he, and this comes back to that whole fascism thing, doesn't he basically just start putting cities under his boots until he's got a big enough army to start putting countries under his boot, then starts putting planets under his boot? So. Yeah, no, he starts off with the predecessors to the Space Marines today called the Thunder Warriors. 
which were souped up human soldiers. Not quite superhuman soldiers yet, but they were definitely stronger than your average guy. Still, you and could look at them and be like, deconstructed. Yeah, maybe, yeah, you could look at them and be like, oh, maybe it's a big Viking dude, but still look like a dude. Yeah. So he used these to one by one conquer what are called the techno barbarians. Okay. And this is that like Fallout slaps dash kind of tech warriors you're talking about, right? Yeah. Because humanity had fought back the demons and the monsters and whatnot, but they'd lost all technology and they'd lost any semblance of humanity. Hmm, fuck the Enclave. Brotherhood of Steel ain't got nothing on the God Emperor. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, again, this is a period of time I really wish they'd explore because there's some really kind of cool stuff. Because the name Techno-Barbarian alone conjures up all sorts of cool Conan-Barbarian, you know, style ideas. Well, it sounds like a Shadowrun class to me, but okay. So, little by little, the Emperor conquer, reconquers, takes over, and, you know says earth is mine now and one of the first things he does is he says there are no gods there are no churches we're going to destroy them all and be a society of pure logic and science you know it's funny because if you think about it right it the, the idea of a person coming up who is functionally immortal and has like crazy psychic powers uh in this world i feel like it wouldn't actually take that much to get the um the world to fall under him without having to conquer anything, right? Like, just the religious people over the planet would be like, oh, it's the Messiah, probably. I mean, if he could prove it, which the God Emperor could, but they live in a world with crazy yeah, psychers. the God Emperor and, could do some crazy shit. Yeah, but they live in a world with crazy psychers and demons and, like, yeah, just showing that he has powers and basically can't die ain't good enough, so... Yeah, and, you know, people were resistant to this idea at first, but when you have a legion of super strong you know, murder machines behind you, <laughs> you don't argue. And what's interesting is there's a point of contention on whether the Emperor had the custodies at this point, what which real briefly we'll touch on what the custodies are. The custodies are the Emperor's personal guard uh-huh. who make the Space Marines, who are superhuman soldiers of death, look like infants in comparison. Oh, but even like by today's, or not today, but like present standards? Yes. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, the custodies were super scary. So it kind of goes back and forth, but it, there's one last big battle, and it's one of the last big Barbarian kings in which the emperor and the Thunder Warriors and the custodies fight and defeat him. And then the emperor goes, okay, thanks, guys. You did great. Uh, custodies, kill them. And wipe <laughs> out all the Thunder Warriors because they just right. weren't you know, capable of doing what he wanted. All right. Domination. That seems pretty um, waste of resources y, but all right. Uh, They're designed to be disposable. Like they had, he hadn't quite mastered the genetic technology. They started to break down. They couldn't fight in, you know, no atmosphere. They were his first test. I, I would say, and if you tell me this is what happened, I'll accept it. But like, I would say that those aren't good enough reasons. But if it was, not only are they breaking down, but they're like, um, after a certain time, they're going insane, like killing each other and civilians and stuff like that. Then, I, I yeah, they weren't really controllable. Okay. So then the emperor kind of embarks on the Primarch project, which we'll touch on real quickly because we'll come back around to it when we talk more about the armies of the Imperium and Space Marines. But this was his attempt to create his own personal army of super soldiers. And like I said before, what little I know about the Primarchs indicates that he, first of all, he the, the, the plan, like he built an entire like fortress where they're all going to live together and grow up and stuff. And each one of them is a clone of like some part of uh, the God Emperor's genes, like not all of it, because he's not going to create just like complete clones. But the point is that each Primarch is almost like a representation of a certain aspect of the God Emperor, at least based on what I read. And, uh, yeah, that's what a lot of people interpret it to be. Yeah, and so he was going to groom them to be the you know the ultimate like fighting for. There were only going to be yeah. twenty of them, like twenty. But yeah, they're yes, going to be. There the were ultimate. twenty of them. He created twenty sons. Yeah, twenty. And then he generals. built a base in the Himalayas. Yeah, unfortunately, there was um I want to say it was a chaos plot essentially that didn't stop them from getting created, but uh, stole them, and so then they got like lost into the warp, and they all landed on different planets throughout the galaxy, right? Yep. All right, and so the uh, the God Emperor knew they were still out there, uh, but he didn't know where. So it would take, um, I think, 
right? Like 15 years before he found the first one? The timeline's kind of wonky. Like, there's not a real definitive timeline of how long it took him or how long there was between them. We know well, the order they well, were found the in. Uh, well, here's the important thing, I think. Because uh, if we do, I think the Primarchs are cool enough to deserve their own, like, episode. But important thing to note, though, is that since each of the Primarchs was, you know, genetically connected to the God Emperor, who, as we've explained, is is like a living god in this world, even compared to all the crazy that already happens. On each planet that they landed, they would grow up and take over that planet. Like, different ways. Some doing it through uh, military force, some through, like, charisma. They just win over the people. Like, you know, because they're just orphans. They'd be found, like, the middle of the woods. But no matter where they started on the planet, they would rise to take control of that planet before, like, the emperor could find them. It didn't take them very long to do it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's what they were designed to do. He created 20 perfect sons to help him act as his general and conquer the universe. Unfortunately, the re you know, it's all kind of coalesced. The reason the emperor was able, you know, knew the time was come was Slanesh was born from the fall of the Eldar, which began to siphon off all that extra energy of the warp and began to calm it a bit so that warp travel was possible again. Mm. And the... Chaos gods knew that the emperor's ultimate plan was to destroy them, so they're like, okay, we need to slow this up. Let's kidnap his sons and toss them across the galaxy. Hopefully, they'll be destroyed and he won't be able to, you know, destroy us. If I remember correctly, only one, maybe two of the Primarchs were, like, never found. Is that right? Yes. Two, well, two were found, but disappeared before the events of the Horus Heresy. Yeah, actually, I just remember reading the list of the Primarchs, and they were, like, two that there are, like, no information about at all. There's scattered bits of information. Um, I'm going to suggest, you, if you if you want to know more about the missing Primarchs and what we know, uh, check out 40K Theories. He's got a really good video detailing what we know and what we think happened to the two missing Primarchs. But for purposes of this conversation, there's really only one Primarch that really matters technically too but i'm i don't remember the second guy's name because he's a bit of a punk because <laughs> uh horus is the most important primarch really he's basically in the imperium or in 40k's like you know uh what, what sort of allegory going on here he's basically lucifer because his whole thing is he was the god emperor's favorite he was the head general among even he was the top among the primarchs so he was like their head general to the point where you know, once he had found basically all his Primarchs and he had Horus leading them, he was like, all right, I'm going to go off and do my own pet project. Horus, you lead the Imperium for me. Yeah, and no, that essentially, I mean, you kind of jumped a bit the Great Crusade, which is, I mean, essentially all you need to know is the Emperor took what the DNA he had of his 20 sons, created the Space Marine Legions and found them and then conquered the galaxy. Oh, uh, okay. Important. Sorry. Yeah, that, I, I mean, I feel like the whole galaxy conquering thing is a foregone conclusion, but the concept of the Space Marines, important thing, because Space Marines, we talk about like multiple factions of the Imperium, aren't, not all the Space Marines, but most of them are like the genetic modifiers that make them Space Marines come from a specific Primarch, right? Which is different. It's a combination of surgeries and, yeah, they are, each one is shaped by who their Primarch was, who they view as their father. Like, the most famous of them, right, is the uh, the Ultramarines, who are from um, Gilliman? Robote Gilliman, yeah. Yeah, for example. And then there's the ones I know, or I was first exposed to, because they're Ulrich's favorite here, the Space Wolves, which came from uh, Russ, Russ something. <laughs> this is Russ, that was all his name was. Uh, he had another name, uh, maybe his last name was Oh, Russ. Lehman anyway. Russ. I don't know why I'm blanking on his first name. Yeah, leaving Russ. Anyway, uh, but, uh, well, we'll go. We'll get into his one because he's got an interesting story. Point is, though, as far as the the general timeline of the Imperial Man come goes, Horus is important, and then there's one other who was, uh, the super religious one, Lorgar, like, Morgar, Lorgar, yeah, with an L. Lorgar. Okay, so Horus and Lorgar are the ones that are most important for purposes of this discussion. Yeah, so Axel kind of caught you up on what led to what's known as the Horus Heresy, which you can kind of guess what happened. But essentially, the Emperor, and okay, the galaxy's conquered. Horus, you are my favorite son. You're going to be in charge. I'm going to go work on this secret project. 
And Horace is like, okay, Dad, well, what's the secret project? I can't tell you. Why? Because I don't trust you. And what's more important, and this is, I feel like, overlooked because it's named after Horace, but Lorgar, right, spent his whole, before the Emperor found him, he was a religious leader on that planet. So he was yes. all about religion. So then when the God Emperor found him, he was like, well, this is obviously the God of the galaxy. But the God Emperor, as Ulrich said, said there are no gods religion is stupid there's only the truth that is science and he like wanted to abolish religion but lorgar was like no religion is all that matters so he kept like spreading religion of the god emperor and then the god emperor found out about it and basically smote lorgar and so lorgar was like well fuck if my god isn't my god then what is there and so then he found the the chaos gods are like hello yeah now that's important because lorgar is like not a beholden to any one chaos god he just like fell in with chaos completely and then he started i wouldn't say he was like the direct cause of horus turning like you said horus had his own he is he's issue. the architect of the whole heresy well architect sure but i'm saying that there was already issues with horus like particularly the fact that as you put it the god emperor didn't really trust horus with his secret plan with god emperor is one of his biggest yeah. mistakes and horus had a lot of pride especially considering you know the compared to the other primarchs and lorgar played on that to to turn Horus, so. Yeah, there's a lot of things that went into the Horus heresy that we will go over, but essentially a lot of it comes down to daddy issues. <laughs> All the Primarchs have daddy issues, to be well, fair. Well, the Emperor was a shit father, and it's coming. Uh, recently it's revealed, been revealed, that the Emperor didn't see them as sons, didn't care about them. They were tools to be used and thrown away. He actually planned to destroy half of them at the end of the whole great crusade once he had everything set up i will say that's gotta be with the exception of like horus and sanguinius right because i know that those ones there's a lot of material that says like he straight up loved horus and sanguinius it's kind of a weird thing yeah i mean he does seem to generally care for his sons but the newest ones coming are no i let you call me father because it was convenient for me Hmm. you were nothing to me you didn't matter i could have replaced you so yeah that was kind of all an underpinning for a lot of these because what happens is Horace goes, huh, my dad's a dick and doesn't care about any of us. And, uh, and Lorgar's like, hey, were like, you could, you're right. You could be the leader. Hmm? And I was saying, and then Lorgar's like, yeah, Horace, you could be the leader. So. Yeah. So basically half of the remaining Primarchs, because at this point two had disappeared. So eight of them were like, yeah, our dad is a dick. I'm going to side with Horace, or it's like, eh, this could be fun. And the other half were like, no, our dad is a dick, but Horace, this isn't right. And this leads to the Horace heresy, which is a galactic civil war fought amongst literal demigods. You know, it's funny that it's called the heresy because really, you know, because heresy has such heavy religious connotations. And being basically architected by Lorgar, who was all about religion, and the God Emperor doesn't even like religion. So it's like, it's only a heresy because there was a question of heresy like in the first place. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thought, I think. Yeah. So, huge, epic, galaxy spanning civil war that goes on for quite a while. Primarchs, well, a Primarch dies. Ferris Manus, we'll talk about him and. His sad death. Well, more more of them die. I mean, like, I know that in the, the final moments of... Well, I, I'm skipping ahead a bit, but in the final moments of the Horus Heresy, Sanguinius was, like, the last Primarch to try to stand against Horus, and Horus well, struck yeah. him down. Because what happened, you know, some of the Primarchs, particularly, you know, Dorn of the Imperial Fist, Jagatai Khan of the White Scars, and Sanguinius of the Blood Angels were able to make it back to Terra, which is 40K's term for Earth, to, to help fair, aid Latin. the emperor. Hmm? To be fair, it's Latin for Earth. It's like in yes. any language. Or not language, any sci-fi, I mean. Sorry. Yeah. And they were able to make it back because at this point, Horus led a bunch of his brothers who a lot of them have been empowered by demons or become demon prim- uh, princes at this point. There are at least and, four of them who are like directly now the, the high champions of specific chaos gods. And then there's Technically only two. I thought... Oh, only two? Okay. I'm, I yeah, just most of them, them became afterwards. Right now, the only two were Angron and uh, Fulgrim. Okay. And I don't think yeah. Fulgrim was actually at the Battle of Terra. I think he was off doing his own Slanesh things. Yeah, I know that Lorgar is called the the something of Chaos Oh, yeah, United. Lorgar had ascended. 
Yeah, but he's he's specifically called like the the something of Chaos United. I don't know what the word is, not champion or avatar, yeah. but point is he was all about like all the chaos gods. So mm-hmm. So, you know, huge epic massive battle because the emperor had been preparing for this. He had foreseen something like this might happen. And it's been kind of implied lately that he knew that the heresy was going to play out. By the way, his pet project that he refused to tell Horus about was essentially trying to create a uh, a highway that would allow them to travel throughout the galaxy faster than light without relying on the warp. Yes, because the warp was reliant on human emotions to you know for the demons to grow, and the emperor knew that if he could cut humans off from the warp, the chaos gods would lose a lot of their power which is why they were so opposed to stopping him, which is why they had granted all these boons to Horus to make him on par with the Emperor power level-wise. Mm-hmm. So this huge, big, epic siege is going on, and it could go either way. And then Horus gets word that the Dark Angels, the Ultramarines, the Space Wolves, uh, a couple other factions are on their way to Terra now to break the siege. So. And no he, one and no one fucks with the Ultramarines. Again, say what you want about Gilman being kind of a Boy Scout and the Ultramarines being the well-known, but they're, they're the most well-known for a reason, because Gilman may not be the strongest Primarch in one-on-one, but he's the best when it comes to like leading his armies and building civilizations. He was a ma- he's a master strategist, and the Ultramarines were the largest legion at the time. Yeah. And I guess I should put it in perspective. The Space Marines at this point are operating in the hundreds of thousands. Which is actually uh, small comparatively to the galaxy. Like the entire Imperium of Man, like armies that aren't Space Marines are, to my knowledge, right, much, much larger than that. It's just that, you know, a single yeah. Space Marine is like equivalent to a ton of regular people. So <laughs> to put it in layman's term, one Space Marine is equal to five Master Chiefs. Sure, I could buy that. I think that's the best. I mean, it's not exact one to one to one, but that's about the level these guys are operating at. They're seven feet tall. They can spit acid. They've got two hearts. They I would say rocket propelled bullets. It's I would insane. say personally, think about it like if um, each space marine is like if the Hulk had an Iron Man suit. Yeah, that's a great example. So you know, this big relief force is barreling down on Horus. Horus has had a hard time keeping his forces together at this point because. Well, once you turns out once you kind of let the uh, lead slip on these guys and introduce them to chaos, they become really hard to control and keep together. Well, it's always Plus, one of the greatest. It's one of the greatest recurring motifs in fiction, right? The idea that evil is always more powerful than good, but evil's greatest flaw is that evil can't. Evil is selfish inherently, right? It can't work together. I mean, I love that. Uh, there were a lot of problems when I first played Diablo 3, a lot of problems that had been fixed, but one thing I always loved was this concept of, like, uh, Deckard Cain says at some point that the armies of hell would have overrun heaven ages ago, if not for the fact that they can't stop fighting each other. Yeah, and the other thing is, Horace even kind of remarks on this, he got the shitty brothers, the damaged ones. <laughs> yeah. Like, eh, he remarks on it. So, he lowers his shield to try and bait the Emperor into assaulting his flagship directly and get him in one-on-one combat. So the Emperor, Sanguinius, and Dorn, which, you know, two of his Primarchs and some Custodes, teleport on to uh, Horus's flagship for a one-on-one duel. But... You know what's funny? I also want to say, like, I mentioned before that Horus is Lucifer in the uh, the... Uh, allegory and that is true in the fact that he is the you know the top son and the that kind of stuff but it's it's weird because you read about sanguinius and he also comes off like lucifer horus almost seems like lucifer in function while sanguinius seems all about to be like lucifer in design and personality and you know pre-fall lucifer that is though so so it's interesting to have those two deal with each other powerful psychic yeah anyway i'm just pointing out that i think it's interesting because those two then fight each other, and it's like two different, essentially, allegories for Lucifer fighting each other. So, Yeah. So because of the nature of technology in 40K, their teleportation tech wasn't the most reliable, so they all kind of ended up getting scattered across this massive ship. Mm-hmm. And when we say massive, uh, 
Ulrich has done this for me before. Like he puts out um, those size comparison charts, right? So like a Warhammer ship, and maybe not an average one, but like a, a warship and Warhammer is like several times the size in at least in mass, if not in length, of like a Star Wars Star Destroyer. So. And this one's about five times bigger than the standard one. So if that puts it in scale for you. So they all get kind of scattered across the ship. And the first two to meet up are Sanguinius and Horus. And this is notable because Sanguinius and Horus were two of the closest of the Primarchs. They really loved and admired each other. They were, you know, best friends. Yeah, so, doesn't, doesn't Sanguinius give him one last, like, you know, please stop this madness kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, Sanguinius tried to stop him from doing this. Is like, this is ridiculous. Why are you doing this? And Horus is like, because I have ultimate power, and proceeded to kill Horus, but not before Horus was able to wound him. Well, you're, come you back used, in used, prevalence later. You mixed up your names there, but the point is Horus killed Sanguinius using his oh, yeah. crazy... Um, uh, chaos powers so yeah and then this is when the emperor comes in and he sees horus standing over the dead body of sanguinius and he realizes that there's no saving his son so big epic duel ensues i mean essentially now we get the point of two gods going at it given how much power horus has amassed and the power that the emperor has and the cool thing about the emperor is he has a giant flaming sword there's a lot of good art of this particular um battle too when i say art it looks like the kind of stuff that would have been painted on a church ceiling you know uh, centuries ago like that style of art very good stuff yeah so huge epic duel the emperor is able to kill horse through the wound that sanguinis inflicted and he musters up his power to shatter horace's soul correct, which... correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't wasn't he actually about to lose because even up to that point, he still couldn't bring himself to bring his full power against Horus? I remember reading about this on the God Emperor's page. But then Horus was like gloating and he said something and it like bolstered the God Emperor to then use that wound that Sanguinius made to basically completely destroy Horus's soul. Yeah. It's kind of implied that the Emperor was holding back because he still cared for his son on some level, which kind of goes against what we know about the Emperor now. Yeah. But when we but say he destroyed said... his soul, he did that specifically so that the Taurus's soul wouldn't get fed back into chaos, which is what happens yes, to because chaos beasts. There was a brief moment when Horus was stripped of the chaos powers, and he saw everything he'd done, and he regretted it. And the Emperor saw that and, like, okay, I have to end this. And he shattered Horus's soul for, yeah, so he can't go back to the Chaos Gods. That means there's no resurrecting Horus. Horus was deleted from existence, essentially. <laughs> and then the Emperor falls down from his wounds. And this is when Dorne comes in at the last minute going, hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, God, no! He sees his brother dead. He sees his other brother dead. He sees <laughs> his dad lying there dying. And he's like, God damn it, all the hell. Family issues. Yeah. And he scoops up the Emperor, they teleport back down to Earth, and they put him on this device called the Golden Throne, which is this archaic uh, device that will preserve the Emperor in a semi-state between life and death. And the Emperor has enough time to go, okay, these are my commands for my death. One, don't make me a god. Two, don't screw everything I've built. Three, I don't, you know, don't worship chaos. And Sounds like then, uh, the Imperium fucked up with his commands then. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they turn on the machine, the Emperor goes into the perpetual state of stasis, and the Imperium begins fucking up. One of the yeah, first curious, things they at this do... Point, I'm curious, hmm? at this point, does he immediately send his mind into the warp, or is that something that comes later? That's kind of... It happened a bit before. Like, the idea is that the struggle with Horus shattered his mind into so many fragments, and part of it went into the... So a lot of it was, you know, thrown off into the warp and a part of it remained in his body, mm. but it well, was all preserved. So at this point, all the loyal Primarchs gather up and they begin a slow push back through the galaxy to retake what they lost and to... Aren't most of them dead at this point, though? No. They all kind of disappear in plot convenient ways of they may be dead, but they're probably not. Well, I know some of them, like uh, like the I can't remember his name, but the the Lannister Primarch, the Lion dude. The lion's not. The lion's asleep. 
Yeah, like I know that one, and Russ went off on some quest like, yep. that he didn't explain to anyone. So there's plenty that are like, or I shouldn't say plenty. I feel like there are like four that are currently unaccounted for, but I feel like most of them are dead, aren't they? No. Um, Ferris Manus is dead, and Sanguinius is dead. Uh, I have to double check that, but okay, you go ahead. You go. The ahead. only one, then Dorn, all they ever found was his hand because he went on a penance crusade for failing the emperor. Mm. and he quote-unquote died but all they ever found was his hand okay well i thought uh oh and then of course you know like the primarchs of chaos who aren't dead at this point basically retreat into the eye chaos. of terror so the eye of terror that's what it's called oh yeah i remember that okay yeah and they all eventually get you know fall uh join up with various chaos gods and get, become demon primarchs so flash forward a couple Hundred years, thousand years—not really sure. I think it's a couple hundred years. And I think it, was a uh, lot, it was a lot more than that. I remember the Horus Heresy took place like, like thousands of years before the, um, the present. Well, I'm talking about the founding of the Ecclesiarchy. Oh, okay. Sorry, I skipped ahead. Yeah. The other half of this, because this is kind of interesting, because one of the things that basically what kicked off this whole Horus Heresy was Lorgar wrote a book, you know, basically saying the Emperor of Mankind is a god. Yeah. And this got picked up by human elements of the Great Crusade, who was like, you know, that sounds kind of like a good idea. And this began to grow and grow and grow until it reached a point that they founded their own church called the Ecclesiarchy, which worships the God Emperor of Mankind as a god and rules with totalitarian might. Mm, which is completely against the God Emperor's wishes, of course. Yeah. And, you know, then the other side of that religion, this is one that existed before, was the uh, Mechanicum who also fought in this great heresy, but we'll talk about them when we cover them a bit more depth. Uh, they have their own religion where they worship a high, the perfect mesh, a meshing of human and machine called the Omnissiah. And they believe that the emperor was this, you know, holy God. And they worship this and they... Well, it probably doesn't help that right now, at this point in the story, the... The Emperor's body is strapped to this golden throne, which is this big marvel of technology that keeps his body, quote-unquote, alive. It's decaying over time. I've seen uh, great art that shows like his body as it is in the throne right now, and you can basically see his skeleton, but he's still yeah. alive. <laughs> so. so the Mechanicum wasn't happy about the rise of the Ecclesiarchy because they worship machines in this Omnissiah. But because of a deal they struck with the Emperor when the Emperor first came to Mars, where they lived, they got to keep their religion and do their own thing. So, yeah. Now, that's, you know, the, that's, those are the two warring religions of the Imperium. And then we kind of go, I mean, the Imperium continues to decline. Technology continues to fail. It's a horrible place up until we get to what's called the time of ending. Well, hold on. Before... I mean, maybe you'll talk about this, but like, so at this point, right, without the God Emperor directly leading them, hence that's the decline, plus most of the Imperium was completely destroyed by the Horus Heresy, and the God Emperor is doing his best, to what I've read, to keep Chaos at bay, whatever that means. So Yeah, like, he still has his mind, and he is powering what's called the Astronomicon, which is this lighthouse that helps guide ships through the warp. And he may or may not be interacting with the universe in the form of living saints and that whole thing, which we'll have to talk about because the emperor is a chaos god is a really cool theory that I believe. Huh. Well, anyway, it makes point a is lot that, of sense. Point is that the emperor is both alive and dead technically, and he's keeping, um, no, trying his best to keep people from, you know, getting murdered by chaos in whatever way he can. But the empire keeps going down and getting worse so yeah it's corrupt it's just it's too big it doesn't oh, have a strong leadership structure and it can't progress because of a perpetual fear of ai rising up and destroying everything again and the mechanicum's belief that you shouldn't change anything unless you've tested it 10 billion times over 10 million years oh and at, at some point along the way they come to this conclusion uh, that seems to be true, but in order to keep the uh, the emperor god or the god emperor like alive, they have to feed the psychic energy of a thousand psychers every day. So kill them, sacrifice them every day to the golden throne to keep yep. 
we got up early. I last. forgot that. Thanks for reminding me. That's a fun little bit of history. Yeah, they regularly round up psychers from across the galaxy and sacrifice them to the God Emperor. And it's never really clear explained why, except that the psychic struggle he's going through to keep himself there, to hold back chaos, to power the Astronomicon, and all that requires this huge power boost every day. And every day it's gotten bigger and bigger. I just so, think it's funny that um, from what I read... A little bit of history, a little more. Yeah, I was saying, from, I, I, mean, I believe that, but from what I read, like, it doesn't say who came up with the idea first or where it came from <laughs> to start sacrificing psychers to the cut emperor. It's one of those unresolved, you know, or unflushed out bits of the 40k lore that I kind of wish they would touch on. Because right, I, so, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I'll talk about it in my sessions of the week, but to make the joke, the emperor wakes up going, listen, I didn't want those people. All they did was hang around and ask me annoying questions. And do you know how fast 10,000 people stack up? So uh, what can you tell me about the time of ending? So the time of ending was essentially where we were at 40K for the longest time. And recently they decided, okay, we're going to make the timeline move forward. And it all kind of starts with the fall of Cadia, which is this fortress world, which we'll talk about here in a second, that protected one of the only stable conduits uh, through the Eye of Terror and kind of kept it back from spreading. And a massive chaos invasion was finally able to break through. They destroyed the world of Cadia. And when they did that, it created a massive warp rift called the Citrix Maledictum, which By literally way. split the universe in half. But I think it's important to note that, at least from my reading, even if not all the Primarchs are dead at this point in the timeline, there are no non-Chaos Primarchs currently active in the Imperium. So the point where the Primarchs are seen also as like gods that are theoretical, or you know, they're not, like they're not walking around doing things, helping out. Like the ones that are either missing or dead. <laughs> so. Actually, there are two Chaos Primarchs currently roaming about. Well, that's why I said non-Chaos. I said oh. that there are no... The point is that the the Empire at this point is functioning not only with no God Emperor leading them, but with no Primarch leading yes. any Primarch. Yeah, so the Citrix Maledictum goes and splits the galaxy in half. And one of the scariest things to happen for the Imperium is the Astronomicon flickers out and stops. And the only reason that would happen to them is the Emperor died or Terra had fallen. Well, that would kill the religion pretty quick. Yeah, so it comes back on, but only for half the galaxy. The other half of the galaxy is back in the uh, <laughs> Age of Strife with demons roaming about and horrible, horrible things happening. Very unshui. Yeah, so it's at this point that a coalition, we'll call it, of Eldar and various agents of the Imperium go to McCrag to resurrect the Primarch Robote Gilliman from his state of perpetual undeath. Because wasn't Gilliman, like, in the... I think, I want to say it was in the Horus Heresy, right? He was, like, stabbed, and then they were like, okay, well, we could put him in this stasis, and he was in stasis for thousands of years, and then suddenly, like, a couple centuries before this, they're like, holy shit, he's healing. And so well... then was... It was it was after the heresy when they were pushing back. He got in a fight with Fulgrim, and Fulgrim stabbed him in the throat with a poison dagger. Uh, I remember reading that. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they rushed him back to McCrag and put him on this stasis platform. And they always believed that he could heal and come back. Yeah, it just took a long-ass time. They weren't really sure. And technically, he and whether he was healing or not, it's never really answered because the Eldar, which we'll talk about when we get to them, used plot convenient magic, which is exactly what it is to <laughs> resurrect him. Fuck the Eldar. And sorry. This is, and this you, is, hmm? I just said fuck the Eldar, and I'm sorry yeah. if anyone's not an Eldar fan, but uh, if, you, if you are, hell, maybe you could tell me why they're interesting, but right now I found nothing interesting about them. They're just space elves. And I hate I'm not elves. a big fan of the Eldar either, but another time, another topic. So yep. the best part is Gilman wakes up having no idea what's going on. The last thing he remembers is getting stabbed in the throat. And he wakes up to a massive battle in his throne room with people he recognizes as his sons and mm -hmm. some giant scary horn dudes he recognizes as not his sons. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I'm going to kill all these motherfuckers and we'll go from there. 
Yeah, so then, and I remember reading this, so now then, not only does he basically kill everything that was hostile in the room, then he goes to, like, the uh, the, the strategy table, he looks at it for, like, two minutes, and then starts shouting orders to, like, everyone around him, even if he doesn't know them, he's just like, this is just, he's just instantly in leader mode. And within, like, two hours, his tactics and orders have started, like, turning the tide in, like, every location that he can essentially influence yeah, because there was a massive chaos invasion, basically of every planet, and there was a massive chaos push for his home planet of McCrag to kill him because he was the only known living Primarch. So after all this happened, he's like, okay, I don't know what's going on. I need to go back home and, you know, get this all figured out. So he launches a big crusade back to Terra. He gets there. He spends like two weeks convening with the Emperor. Oh, this is after, of course, he learns all about the crazy religion around the Emperor and his... Oh, yeah. He's not happy about that. Yeah, he's very disappointed in general with where the Empire has gone. Oh, uh, Dark Imperium is a great read if you want to know the thoughts of Gilliman on the current universe. He is very angry. I believe that. And just super sad. So there's a big, long conversation with the Emperor, finds out all these terrible things about the Emperor. In all fairness, conversation. From what I read, he goes in and doesn't come out for two weeks. And then he's like, okay, I'm the leader of the Imperium now. And no one really knows what went on in there. <laughs> so. Again, Dark Imperium kind of gives us little bits of hints. Like it kind of talks about some of the conversations they had and okay. the issues Gilliman's having regarding that. Like I said, okay. great read if you haven't done it, uh, Dark Imperium. It's part of the new series that's kind of filling in the lore. Is it made that I just read like, you know, various information pages and, uh, forums and stuff and from what i read it, at least that was how it came off that he just goes in comes out two weeks later and it's like i'm the fucking leader now <laughs> so. yeah and everyone and you gotta remember at this point because of the religious structure that the ecclesiarchy has set up all of the loyal primarchs are viewed literally as gods themselves so there's no real opposition to it and gilliman kind of turns the whole imperium around is like okay we're going to go out we're going to reconquer what we've lost we're going to save this part of the galaxy that's in trouble and we're going to you know stop my evil brothers that are starting to reappear and that kind of brings us up to where the imperium is timeline today he also makes a new uh, a new batch of even more ultramarines that are like super ultramarines <laughs> Yeah, the Primaris Marines, which we'll talk about when we talk about the uh, Space Marines next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that we were originally going to cover, like, Worlds of the Imperium too, but I feel like the timeline itself has taken us far enough. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to move talking about Worlds of the Imperium to next week when we talk about Armies of the Imperium. I think it'll go better. Because, honestly, we've only scratched the surface of the Imperium of Man, and we are going to split this into two parts because, well, one... There's a lot to talk about with the Imperium. And two, for better or worse, they're the most developed faction Games Workshop has. Because they're the humans. Of course, they're going to be the most developed. Yeah. Um, no, that's the army I play. I play Ultramarines, even though personality-wise, I'm an Imperial Fist. I thought you played Space Wolves. Nope. Why the Switch? Well, I played... Oh, I like Ultramarines. The more I read about them, especially in the Horse Heresy, I really came to like them. Two... Ultramarines were easiest, were the, probably the easiest to paint when I was getting started. A lot less beards uh, and faces. Are they blue and yellow? Uh, blue and white. Blue and white. All right. Yeah. And I ended up going Ultramarines partially because I like the lore and partially because, for better or worse, they are Games Workshop's poster child for Space Marines. Yeah, so yeah. they get all the best toys first. That makes sense. I mean, but no, personality-wise, I, I have thought it long and hard. I'm an Imperial Fist. I don't like yellow and black, which is why I didn't do them. Mm-hmm. But personality-wise, I'm an Imperial Fist. Yeah, I mean, I play orcs, so as long as I paint the orcs uh, green, I can paint their stuff literally any color because it's scrap. So yeah. so that does it for part one. Uh, let's move on real quick to suggestions of the week. Yeah, so uh, I know that our little um, scan over the timeline of the Imperium, which... You know, trying to condense 40,000 years of fictional history into an hour is... Uh, I'm going to go with a... Not impossible. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I couldn't think of a clever thing, so you beat me to it. So <laughs> instead, I'm going to go with uh, a book 
that I'm currently reading, and it's kind of a cheat answer because I technically already talked about the the first book. Remember a while back I um, mentioned the name of the wind and my friend who really suggested it to me. Uh, first of all, he finally listened to the podcast, and it was great because I was at like Barnes and Noble while he was listening to it. He just sends me a text that literally says, "Oh my God, you're a dick." <laughs> so, <laughs> So we finally got to talk about his his favorite book. But since I finished Name of the Wind, I started the second book, uh, The Wise Man's Fear. So this series, uh, there are other like supplementary materials and short stories and stuff, but it's supposed to be a trilogy. And the third book hasn't come out yet. Apparently, it's supposed to come out soon-ish, I guess. But uh, Wise Man's Fear came out in 2011. So uh, yeah, who am I to talk about hiatuses? I'm a Berserk fan and a Hunter Hunter fan and a Game of Thrones fan, so whatever. Um, but Wise Man's Fair, as I talked before, right, the, the book series is about Quoth the Bloodless, the greatest D&D bard, essentially, in the world. And uh, it's about how he came to, to get those. And a lot of the first and now the second book is about him at university. And it feels like... It reminds me of when I read Harry Potter, right? You know, about like a magical school and stuff like that, except it's, you know, maybe for, you know, a bit of an older audience. I'm not saying it's like mature material or anything like that. It's still, you know, teenish, but it just feels more closer to George R. R. Martin in writing style than it does to J.K. Rowling, if that makes any sense. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I wasn't sure what you were trying to imply when it's like, when he says he's in university, it's like, hmm. Yeah, that could go one or two ways. But no, that sounds like a good one. I'm always looking for something more to read. Yeah, like I said, I'm reading like four books right now, but uh, and I'm playing 20 games and watching 30 shows, and I have a hard time finding time to do anything, but I still like... I was up I late. Why. I was, yeah, I was up late. Like, hey, I, I'm working a lot too, man. I got to do late nights and stuff because we're on new projects and shit, and I got the... Not, not the point. Point is... I still, you know, stayed up like probably an hour and a half later last night than I should have just reading this book because it uh quoth the problem I mentioned before and I'll talk about it a little bit now is that quoth can um his like a knack is what they call it he can do basically anything he sets his mind to well. He's really good at learning things. So anything that he wants to do, he's very capable at doing. And it makes it almost kind of um, cheap it feels like because you know where are the stakes if he can do anything he wants to do now the book balances this in two ways one quoth is really charming like because he's a bard he's just a really fun voice to listen to and two while he's really good at anything he tries to do academically he constantly makes terrible terrible personal decisions <laughs> so kind of like how read yeah, yeah. So kind of like, you know, how like with Tony Stark, how Tony Stark's a genius when it comes to anything scientific, but he's an alcoholic and terrible at making personal decisions. Similar kind <laughs> of thing here. So anyway, right. point is, the first book, now that I finished it, the whole thing was really good. I had, a you know, a couple problems with how it, you know, Quoth is portrayed, but in general, it's super fun. And the second book seems to be written uh, more... Like, I can tell that at this point, Pat Roth, Patrick Roth has had a little more experience with what he was doing. Um... So I'm really enjoying the second book, too. There, there's my suggestion of the week. Both the books, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear. All right. Well, since this was a 40K episode, I'm going to continue my trend of doing 40K suggestions, starting with if the Emperor had a text-to-speech device, which if you're a 40K fan, you've already probably heard of this or had it quoted at you because it's freaking hilarious. It's <laughs> a great YouTube series. Um, I advise it, whether you're into 40K or not, just give this a check. Just check it out. Because a lot of ways, it's really good about talking and teaching about a lot of these things we've just talked about, but in a humorous way. And ironically, they predicted the interpretation that Games Workshop was going to do of the Emperor before they even, you know, established it. Hmm. Like, their Emperor is a snarky, sardonic asshole, which <laughs> is pretty damn close to what he is currently in the lore. All uh, right. Yeah, great series. Hilarious. Check it out there on YouTube. And then, of course, I'm going to talk about White Dwarf, which is the Warhammer Games Workshop, what have you, monthly magazine that covers every aspect of what they do. The books, the movie, uh, video games, the models, the tabletop, everything. Um, they relaunched it a couple years ago, so it's not the same piddly one they were putting out. And 
I love it because again, it covers all these things, and it's really good for you know keeping up with what's going on as well as hints of what's coming out. And they love to give away free shit. I just got two massive posters, one of which is the complete breakdown of the nightly orders of the nightly order of uh, 40k, which we haven't talked about. But knights are mini titans, so 20 foot giant, uh, 20 foot tall. Death robots with a sense <laughs> of chivalry. <laughs> and right. I have a giant poster that breaks down their entire structure and weapon class. And it's a lore fiends. You know, I'm, I'm super excited. I got to find a place for it. But yeah, those are my suggestions of the week. Cool. So again, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe so you can catch part two of this really long-ass video series. Uh, please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode. Not just to point out that I'm the bad guy of the series somehow, even though Axel wants us to cripple children. Wait, someone said you're the bad guy? I'm the bad guy of the series. See, my friends told me that I come off as the asshole when we talk because I use, like, debate tactics when obviously we're just having a regular conversation. So No, I'm the bad guy because I'm the bad guy. Uh, All right, sure, man. I haven't heard that, but you go for it. That's what I was told. Uh, We are on Twitter and Patreon. Links will be in the description below. As always, this has been Lord Commander Oric. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.